True. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I will try. Try my best. <laughs> just for reference, for those of you who dropped in, it just went live. We're talking about cursing, so we cannot guarantee you. We'll try to keep it as family friendly as possible, but we can't guarantee you that there won't be a curse word dropped here and there. So just so you're you're aware. <laughs> well, so uh, welcome back to Page Chewing, and uh, with Steve talks books, the wonderful Steve talks books, and myself, PL Stewart. We are here with two more fabulous guests, and today we have the amazing P.S. Livingston and Virginia McLean. So welcome to both of you. Uh, Thank you. Thank yeah, just quickly about myself. I'm, again, I'm P.L. Stewart. I'm the author of the John Kingdom Saga. Uh, that includes the John Kingdom and the last of the Atlanteans. And um, I will uh, let Steve um, introduce himself before we go on to our, our guests. Yeah, I'm uh, Steve, and Steve talks books, and I like to read a lot and like to talk to people. So it's always great to meet new people and to interact and just have a fun conversation. So I'm grateful that PL has, uh, we've started the series and have met so many interesting and, and lovely people. So I'm happy to be here. And thanks to uh, PS and also to Virginia for taking time out of their day to chat with us today. Very glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Me too. Awesome. Well, so... Um, Again, we're, we we have two uh, creatives that are quite well known in the writing community. Um, but for for those who who perhaps uh, don't know as much about you as I'd like to, uh, can you ladies um, tell us a bit about yourselves and what you write and what you do, things like that? Um, whoever would like to go first, Virginia, it's all yours. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm... Virginia McLean, I um, am a fantasy author. I write in two subgenres at the moment, um, urban fantasy, and, uh, humorous urban fantasy specifically, and uh, and epic fantasy is the other one, although it's uh, that series is also branching into adventure, action adventure fantasy romp. <laughs> um, and so I have a total of eight full length books out to date. Hmm. And um, I'm also uh, one of the founders of Quarancon along with the lovely P.S. Livingston, and um, uh, and yeah, I think those are the things I'm most well known for. Uh, Blade's Edge, my debut novel from 2015, was a finalist in the 2019 yes. uh, SPFBO, um, and people uh, perhaps some have heard of that. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, no, I think that's about it. Um, people have been listing me lately as like an SPSFC judge, but the truth is I failed as an SPSFC judge. I was in for like the first half of the first round and then I got overwhelmed with everything else and I'm not a judge anymore because I couldn't keep up with all the reading for the contest. It's an awesome contest and everyone should check it out, but um, I don't, I cannot call myself a, a judge for SPSFC anymore accurately. So <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that's, I think that's me. Okay. Um, yeah, so, well, P.S. Livingstone, or Pam, because we talked about this, it's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> Call me Pam. Um, so, yes, like Virginia, uh, well, she and I met and bonded over Corn Con. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're still, still going uh, for our third year. So, um, yeah, I, I'm an editor. Uh, mostly uh, sort of fantasy science fiction. Uh, I do some romance, some contemporary. Uh, I do educational and scientific editing, which is not related at mm -hmm. all. Um, my background is zoology. So I'm a scientist uh, kind of by 
trade. Um, we'll be back and kind of came into this a bit later. Uh, I'm also a ghostwriter. So I have a number of uh, books out there, none of which have my name on it. And I can't tell you what they are because I have a PDA. <laughs> so, but, uh, but I hope to have my debut should be out later this year, which is uh, Awakening, the Transcendent Saga, which we've had many conversations, Virginia and I, I'm still kind of going with contemporary epic, which I know doesn't really mean anything, but it's kind of really epic on scale. Um, starts off urban ends up really not urban um <laughs> and is set kind of in modern times uh i think part of the reason i probably haven't got it out sooner is as you probably guessed from what i've just said i don't quite know where it fits <laughs> so I, I invented a term and i've been running with it until i find something better <laughs> make um, it till you make it that's uh you'll create your own subgenre perfect that's pr that, that's pretty much my 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 life experience fake it till you make it and hope for the best really um, it was working for you <laughs> it's, it's, it's certainly like just, a motto of corn con fake it till you make it. <laughs> yeah. 12 12 raccoons in a trench coat <laughs> Which is wow. pretty, which is virginia well she calls herself this so i do um, i do it's not it's ah. not you know, <laughs> I'm not assuming her. She fully re recognizes that she has twelve raccoons in a, a trench coat, and I think people ended up deciding I was some kind of robot. I think was when they went Well, I think that was again self self described, right? I was like, well, I'm twelve raccoons in a in a trench coat, but I think Pam is human, and then you were like, no, no, I'm a robot. Right? I think I wasn't human and you said yes, robot, and I, was, I think I was fine with that. Oh, okay. Maybe it was that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're getting some, some secrets. You're getting some secrets out of out of Yeah. Well, and as you can see, we're very serious people. <laughs> I can tell, absolutely. <laughs> we take ourselves very seriously. Yes. <laughs> um, before we get to questions, I want to give Steve a chance to speak and probably catch up with some comments and people saying hi and popping in. So I just want to say hi to uh, Cool Gamers here. Hey, Cool Gamer. And of course, our friend Taylor from Maybe Between the Pages. And also, David Green is here. Hey, David. Hey, Dave. Hey, Dave. So, yeah, awesome. So, Pam, I did have a quick question for, well, it may not be quick, but you mentioned ghostwriting. How does that process work? So, do you get your approach to fill in gaps or how much? Um, yeah, it, it really depends. I mean, what I've been, the, the series I've been working on recently, which is a, a series of novellas, um, which is essentially basically one long story in five parts, realistically. Um, I've been given very much free reign to write whatever I want. Um, that's not necessarily the norm in ghostwriting. So I'm quite lucky in that regard with what I'm doing at the moment, which is kind of give me a sort of rough this is the genre we want to be writing in and you go ahead and kind of do that and obviously the the editing is done sometimes i get pieces back sometimes not it depends um other times you know people have an outline that they that they want a story about this and they will come to you you know with that and sort of say you know this is the story i want to tell some people have got really detailed character names uh you know sort of the world they want it set in and people have various reasons. Sometimes they just want to read the story that they have in their head hmm. and they're prepared to pay for that. Uh, other times, you obviously, people are, are putting it out. Um, 
certainly sort of the you know the Kindle market for shorter sort of fiction, like ten thousand words. Um, some of it not in a genre I want to write, if I'm honest. Um, I have no issue writing, you know, erotica or romance, and that's a lot of what I do. But there's some really, really niche, way past the line of erotica stuff that I don't want to write. I know it's quite lucrative, um, and, and I know there are people making a reasonable amount writing this really niche market stuff, but that's not really what I want to write. So I have steered clear of that as a personal choice, you know. There, there has been really only one time, other than saying I won't do that, where someone has presented a story that I'm like, I'm not writing this because <laughs> it's just not okay stuff. <laughs> just not nothing, you know, erotic wise, but actually just really inappropriate kind of tropey, slightly racist stuff that I'm just like, I don't want any part of this. Find somebody else to write it that's fine. So yeah, it really depends. Who I'm working with just now, I've got pretty much free reign, which is a lovely position to be in because they trust me to make up a story and write it. And that's quite nice. Hmm. Does that answer well enough? Or? It's really interesting how that whole process works and how if you, there's, I'm sure there's privacy that you have to keep things certain, certain things private. So how, yeah. do, people, how do people know that you've written something? If, they, if, if I wanted someone to ghostwrite something for me, how would I find you? How does that process work? Um, well, I used to, I used to advertise on, on Fiverr, um, and realistically, you are a lot of the time, and you know, unless you're writing for like big companies that you know, like some the ghostwriters of things like some of the Star Wars stuff are reasonably well known. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not really ghostwriting; it is because obviously their name's not on it. But some of these people are known. A lot of the time, for me, it's just people have to. I, I would send them samples of my own work, short stories, pieces of my own fiction that I've done, and they would judge me from that. Um, I, I wouldn't be able to tell them what I'd written for most of them, simply because you know it's written under a pen name. It's small publishing companies will hire various ghostwriters to write for them. Mm-hmm. Um, whether people, I suppose, agree with that from a ethical perspective i mean i know there has been issue over the years on twitter someone mm. was discovered to not be what they said they were but mm. you know I, I i think there are probably some people do have the ethical issues with those but for me um it's a business i guaranteed a wage i get paid by the word um i write a lot of extra ands no i don't <laughs> <laughs> All the thens and thats and so that's I, I could write I could write they are or they are. Hmm, I should probably write they are. It's really important. <laughs> There's no contractions in that book no anywhere. Um but no, I mean I, I think you know you also get ratings and things like people provide feedback for you, you know, and they can do that anonymously. So you can get that. Uh, a lot of my work has come word by word of mouth. Mm. People who kind of you know, or groups who talk about that type of thing, and that's been passed on to me. I'm not taking on any commissions at the moment because I have this booked for the foreseeable future. And with my other editing work, I probably couldn't take on another ghostwriting job at the moment. Um, but but yeah, uh, I did use Fiverr. It's a mixed bag. I probably wouldn't return to it if I'm honest. People want to pay you an awful lot less. Than it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they want to pay you an awful lot less than it's worth. Um, it's the same with a lot of these things, you know, proofreading jobs. Somebody came to me, they wanted a hundred thousand word proofread and they wanted to pay me a hundred pounds. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's a great opportunity for me. I decided to turn it down anyway. 
Yeah, you're lost though. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, because I'd have made big money if I just had done that them that favor because it was going to be huge. Mm. But right. I know. I'm just going to have to live with the disappointment. Ah, the sacrifices we make, eh? Indeed. Wow. So I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm listening to to PS and and for for both of you, um, Virginia, I, I between the two of you, I swear, you two are all over the place. I always see, you know, you're involved. You're always involved in something, right? I don't know when you both rest, but um, I, I just I loved watching your your uh, Coracon, I guess, to wrap up the debrief post video where you guys are just totally zonks, like, oh my god, this is amazing, but. But we can't get off the couch, like you know what I mean. I love, I love watching that. It was awesome, right? But um, again, just hearing PS describe, you know, how busy she is, Virginia. I can't even, you know, I can't even go there. You know, I know Virginia. You were, you were, um, you know, involved in leading the uh, the Kickstarter for the Alchemy of Sorrow uh, anthology. Obviously, you're writing your own books. You know, uh, read Sarah's Claw, loved it. I plan to pick up the rest of of all of your books. Um, you know, so you're busy writing. P.S. Obviously, writing as well, and you know, I know P.S. will never brag about it, but she was a page turner finalist. I guess that's for an unpublished as an unpublished worksheet. She doesn't. I know. You, I'm going to plug you, even if, even if you don't plug yourself, right? So thank you. Um, but uh, and of course, we know Virginia with SPFPO finalist judging and SPFPSFC, the science fiction version. I know you said you had to pull out, but do you feel? Um, and it may be just, you know, I think a lot of creators, creators, we're, we're high achievers, right? We want to, we want to do a lot, but do you feel that with all the things you're doing, you're just spread too thin? Because I know sometimes I go, oh, you know, you're, you've kind of really spread yourself too thin here. Like, do you feel that a lot in terms of the pressure to write your own stuff? You know, some like PS, you're ghostwriting, Virginia, you're, you're co-writing with other authors. You're, you're trying to get funding for Kickstarter. You're, you're doing quad con together. You're doing all these things. Like, do you feel, um, or maybe you don't feel spread thin? It's just exciting and fun. Or how, well, I, how are you? I definitely um, got to a point where I felt felt spread too thin, and that's why that's why I dropped out of judging SPSFC. Like, I really wanted to do that. I thought it would be um, a, a fun way to to, to read more uh, indie sci-fi because I haven't read like I read a lot of or a decent amount of sci-fi um, just in general, but I hadn't read a lot of indie sci-fi, and I was like, I'd love to get into that. And you know, Spithbo is such a great way to find fantasy books. I would love to, you know, and then also just giving back to the that community in particular, and just like you know, because the judges they volunteer their time to to read and add exposure to to books, and I wanted to be a part of that and. And then I just got overwhelmed and something had to give. And it was that, like it was, I was looking at all the things that I had to do as I was trying getting, uh, we had just started the planning um, phases of CorinCon for, for this year. This was back in like December, January. Um, and and I was gearing up for that Kickstarter with, uh, for the Alchemy of Sorrow. And I, you know, also still hoping to work on my own stuff. Um, and actually, tr in truth, haven't worked on any of my own stuff for a few months now. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I just had to, something had to give and it wound up being that. Um, and I, and I, like I said, I, I don't, I don't feel great about it because I said I would do it. And then I felt like I was, you know, letting down my, the judging team um, that I was on. But luckily, those are all teams of at least 10 judges. Um, and so there, you know, there were more people there to, to keep up with it. And um, everyone was very understanding and very kind about it but I still felt bad for letting go of a commitment. Right. But I had to, I just, I hadn't, I, 
I reached a point where I couldn't even make myself read the books, not because they were bad at all, but just because every time I like sat down to read, I started to feel horribly guilty and stressed about all the other things that I wasn't doing. <laughs> and, uh, and it was not, it wasn't, it was not a healthy place to be mentally. So um, yeah, something had to give. And so that was it. Um, and in the meantime, I still haven't gotten back to writing my own stuff yet. The Kickstarter is pretty all consuming. It's done in terms of we reached our funding goal and closed out. Yeah, and, but congratulations. Now I, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah. And it was, you know, massively successful, almost 400% funded, um, really just a fabulous experience all around, but it's a ton of work to run. And now, now we have to actually get the book out <laughs> um, and, uh, and get it to all our backers and stuff. And that's just, it's a bunch more. I'm the coordinator of all of that. So I'm like, okay, we got to get all the art from the artists and then we have to, then I have to put together the formatting and we have to get our editing from our editor and then, you know, all that and, um, layouts and stuff. And then the special edition is going to require additional design work because we have to do foil and like, all this stuff. It's, and it's great. It's all stuff I enjoy doing. It's just a lot of work. And between that and my regular graphic design work, um, I just, it's going to be a while before I can write again, I think, but, uh, yeah. So yes, definitely feel spread too thin sometimes, <laughs> but I'll let Pam answer it for herself. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I can do, I mean, Quarancon was quite insane. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm quite notorious for not sleeping as Virginia will know. Uh, so the answer is, is that, you know, something has to go, oh, sleep. I can do without that. Um, which does happen more often than it should. Uh, but I, I, I function quite well on no sleep, actually. So it's okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I certainly, I certainly felt very stretched. Then before I left my my full time job, I was teaching full time, um, and yeah, I, that that for many many reasons uh, was not a good environment. Uh, very very toxic in general, and not good for creativity, and just was. Yeah, it was it was making me extremely stressed, and I was trying to do editing and you know doing my continue my editing training, which I still keep doing, and you know to keep building my skills and and whatnot. Um, <clears throat> so so yeah, I did feel that way, and basically I I did hope to sort of go down part time and leave you know maybe in a year or two, um, and then got to a point where I was like, hmm. <laughs> I'm just going to quit. <laughs> and that was absolutely the best decision I ever made. Um, it just allowed me to do this during the day. And I mean, I, I don't work nine to five. I, I do sometimes write in the evenings where the inspiration takes me, but I can have my weekends now when I'm not doing Quarantcon. <laughs> um, and, you know, and actually if I go out for an evening, it's not a choice between going out with my friends for an evening or writing. I can now do both and I decided to lose the thing which was making me very unhappy um, and to be honest it was never the kids the kids were actually great I like teaching kids uh, it's all the adults in teaching that make it miserable <laughs> and the management um, if any of you are watching you know my thoughts on you uh, <laughs> um, yeah so, so yeah time management certainly you know for me I I I do spread myself in at certain times, like when Quarantcon's on. I'm also at the area head for events for Worldcon in Glasgow in 2024 mm. um, because I am a glutton for punishment. 
You're um, too competent, Pam. We've talked about this. You I just... know, I know. I need to suck more and stop doing things well, and then nobody will ask me to do anything. Be less competent, yeah. Yeah, I know. We did talk about that. I should stop doing things well. Yeah. If I do it badly, just nobody will invite me back. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, but I mean, I I enjoy this aspect of it too much. You know, the the talk chatting to everybody. I mean, I would never have met Virginia if I hadn't gone. Oh somebody's talking about doing a con thing on Twitter I'm up for that and I would never have you know met her and she's been so important in my life and you know just made me feel a really big part of the community and allowed me to make friends and then meeting obviously Steve and PL which I wouldn't have done if it wasn't for Corn Con probably mm. and just so many other people within the writing community so I will always make time for this because this just makes me happy and because I work for myself I can fit the other stuff in as and when and if I need to take a break I can also do that because I work for myself <laughs> so yeah sometimes spread too thin but I wouldn't change it <laughs> and Virginia with the Kickstarter if someone was in similar in a similar position that you were before you started the Kickstarter and they came to you for advice on what should I look out for starting I want to start a Kickstarter for this project I want to work on what advice would you give to them uh, it really depends on what the project is and what they're hoping to achieve with the Kickstarter. Um, so I think the first thing is to to have a plan for that specifically. Like what what are your specific goals for Kickstarter? It's a great tool for certain things. It is not a panacea. It is not going to work for everything. Um, and depending on what you want to do with it, there are different ways to go about it. Um, there are some authors, uh, of course, everyone has seen recently uh, the Brendan Sanderson Kickstarter and the Will White Kickstarter and like the, you know, those, those massive projects that are just uh, blowing everything out of the water. Those are fabulous. To achieve that kind of thing, you have to come with your own massive audience, right? So it's not, not reasonable to set those kinds of expectations for yourself. Um, <clears throat> I've used Kickstarter twice now successfully. The very first one I did actually, I funded Blades Edge's debut. Um, I was a brand new author with zero following and no idea what I was doing outside of a lot of research and forums and stuff. And I was like, I'm going to kickstart this book so that I can pay for a proper edit and fabulous cover art and formatting and all this stuff. And um, so I ran a Kickstarter for like $4,800 or something like that, 4,500. I can't remember what the original goal was. And I like, you know, made only a couple hundred more than that. Um, like just barely in like the last day. Uh, it was a much less, uh, you know, fast moving Kickstarter. It really took the entire month to, to hit our goal, my goal. Um, uh, but, you know, I was a single, I was a lone author with no following at all to speak of. I had zero readership except for like a half a dozen people from a, <laughs> a web serial site that I had been using. Um, so uh, that, but, but I succeeded and that enabled me to get a really professional um, looking cover and, and professional editing and all of that and start off in the black for Blade's Edge. I have every single sale of that book has been at a profit because I was never at a deficit um, because of that Kickstarter, which was amazing. And I highly recommend doing that if you are an indie author or you want to be an indie author and you don't have the budget for those things. And it doesn't have to be what I did. I paid $1,000 for original illustration, but you could do a Kickstarter and still be hiring someone to do a $300 composite cover. But if you can't afford those 300 bucks and you can't afford another however much for editing, 
that you could run a Kickstarter for a much smaller amount of money and then still, um, you know, wind up covering your, your initial outlay. And um, I, I recommend that, uh, but it's hard to do. Kickstarters are a lot of work. So that's the other thing that I would tell people is to remember <laughs> that a Kickstarter basically turns into a full-time job for the entire month. You spend, um, especially when you don't have a following already, you're going to spend that whole month just getting people to look at your Kickstarter to hopefully back it. Um, and the most successful Kickstarters do well with a little bit of investment beforehand. And that's unfortunate too, because again, if you don't have the funds <laughs> to, to pay for your cover uh, or whatever, that's, that's really hard. You can't show off the cool cover that you hope to have because you can't afford to do it beforehand, right? You could risk it if it's something that you're like, well, I could afford to do this as long as I make it back. And you could bet on yourself for that amount of money and hope that you're gonna get paid back. Um, and that can, be worth, that can definitely be worth doing. Um, but you can also, what I did for mine was I actually drew sketches of like stick figures fighting dragons and stuff and was like, this is how bad it would be if I did my own cover. So everyone please help <laughs> and use that as like a comic beat in my, in my video and everything else. Um, I did have some graphic design skills even then. So I used that to sort of put together some images with some decent titling. Although looking back on them now with my much more extensive graphic design experience, I'm like, Ooh. but um. But those kinds of do whatever you can for the budget you've got and and make it as good as possible, as compelling as possible, uh, and then work from there. Um, honestly, this Kickstarter for the Alchemy of Sorrow, having thir 13 authors total, plus our editor and, and artists and stuff that we'd already um, started to contract because I knew that I was very certain we were going to fund. Like with as many people, with as wider readership as we were bringing in, I was like, I wasn't, I had no doubt setting out that we were gonna actually hit our base goal. By the actual reaction uh, and the amount of support and, and community um, like love that we got and and how, how successful, like we hit every single stretch goal and had to make up more. That was amazing, that I was not expecting. Um, but at any rate, with a team of people, you know, like I was the, the main point person on the Kickstarter, but Intisar Kanani was immensely, um, key like she was the, the, the she was my support structure and all of that making sure that I didn't turn into a pile of goo throughout the entire process and also just doing so much of what needed to be done and helping me with calculations and double checking everything because I'm really bad about forgetting small details all of that she was instrumental in, in making that successful and Crystal Matar and ML Wong both helped with posting and, and doing other pieces of that and then just our entire crew was always like tweeting about it, posting it on their social media. We had a lot of people who were able to amplify it and their audiences amplifying it further. And it just like, that is a magical recipe for, for success um, that I absolutely did not have for my first Kickstarter. Um, so then that's a different, you can set your sights on different things there, right? Like, and, and you're not just like, okay, well, will I nail biting, like make my initial goal? Like I know I went ahead and invested in artwork and stuff. Cause I knew we were going to get that back. And even if we didn't at this stage in my career, I can afford a little bit of outlay for that. So I knew I would, you know, be able to, to sort it out. But, um, but you know, that's a very different scenario from the like one person, no audience yet Kickstarter. And so those are two different scenarios. And there are many others um, that you can do. Like, some people use them just for special editions. Some people use them for just the audiobook. Some people use them for like, there's just, there's so many options. So you really have to have that goal clear in your head. And then you have to be prepared for some really wonky math, wonky math, because Kickstarter math 
is this interesting sliding scale, right? Because if the more people who pledge for rewards, the more rewards you have to produce. So your costs go up with every single backer. And it's not just because of the way that Kickstarter calculates that. It's not just like you can say like, well, this is our goal. And so we have to sell this many of this thing. If you only have one reward tier, you could maybe do it that way. You could be like, okay, we just have to like plan on our costs are gonna be a hundred of this thing and that will cover everything and great, we're good. Uh, but for the most part, you want a mix of things, right? So your ebook doesn't really have a physical production cost, right? But then your physical books have the printing costs and the shipping costs added in. And you can't assume that you're going to fund on all of one thing. And then you, but every time you, you know, like our special edition, every time someone pledged for the special edition level, that, you know, like, oh, that's a really nice big bump, except that, you know, a huge portion of that is the cost <laughs> of making it. And then, yeah, anyway. It's just, it's very complicated. You have to sit down and be prepared for that level of math and the way it works. There's a lot of resources on Kickstarter that you can use for that. But anyway, just be prepared to really work. <laughs> um, and sorry, that was a massively long answer. <laughs> but uh, the Kickstarters are a lot, so. Um. Wow. Well, I think I'll definitely be tapping your, you know, DMing you, begging for, for counsel uh, in the future. Absolutely. That. Yeah, if, if you're going to do it. Yeah, you know either that or just become Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> mm, yeah, work on that. Yeah, yeah, I'll get, I'll get right on that. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, if you figure out how yeah. to do that, if you can yeah, let me know, that, that would be great. <laughs> um, well, but please, PL, if you ever want, if you ever want advice on Kickstarter, let me know. I'm happy to help. I appreciate that. I'm sure I could get a lot of great advice for you on a lot of things regarding regarding writing and writing history. But but thank you. That was uh, that was an awesome answer. Uh, I'm going to embarrass PS for a second because I just love to do that. And um, so just a couple of questions in general. So obviously, uh, you know, you as I mentioned, Paige Turner um, Award finalist. Congratulations on that. Um, and it's actually an award that I personally don't know a lot about. But when I started doing some research. It's it's obviously for for unpublished works. So, first of all, so my I have two two questions here. First of all, what made you decide to submit an award for for a work that you haven't yet put out there in the wild, and what what was the the thinking behind that? And second of all, can you tell us a bit more about the what you can? I understand it's not out there yet but about the transcend saga because hopefully, so I can put it. You know, I'm sure I'm gonna put it at the top of my TBR regardless, but. I want to be able to like get prepped for that. So, you know, can you, can you speak to that a bit? Sure. Um, so page turn rewards, I think, to be honest, it was kind of a why not <laughs> really, as opposed to, you know, I, I, I think, you know, going into any of these contests, you know, you, you try and set your expectations as low as possible. Well, I do anyway, you know, you think, you know, reading and what people love is, is such a kind of, subjective thing i mean i i actually find myself really heartened by the spiffbo top two this year because you know um Roman. they are Roman. Roman. i know Roman. they're kissing books as crystal said to me earlier which made me laugh because it's a princess bride so is this a kissing book <laughs> it's very serious <laughs> you know, i i i love that uh, um that you know there is that that's what came top two because you know in the same way that and I'm probably going to offend a whole bunch of people here, literary fiction people look down on us genre folk, you know, there's elements of the genre folk who look down on romance or urban fantasy romance. And it's like, well, I know people who really hate it and will wax lyrical about well, literary fiction. They're looking down on me as a horror writer. And I'm like, you do it. 
to people who, who write, you know, stuff like that. And I think it's a really negative attitude generally. Um, and I love the fact that there's some shift in that. So I went into Page Turner bottom line, really just for the why not put it out there and see how it does. And I kind of forgot about it until I got an email going, um, look out, we're announcing our, you know, finalists in the next week. And I'm like, oh, okay. I haven't been chucked then. <laughs> and then I kind of didn't really think anything about it. Um, and, and yeah, so that, that was really exciting. Obviously I didn't go on to win, but that's okay. <laughs> um, it was nice. And it was really just a, let's put it out there and see what happens. Um, and I didn't put any more thought. I'd love to tell you there was some big, you know, <laughs> I planned this and then I'm going to do this with it. I, I didn't. I went, huh, okay, stick that in, see what happens. So, yeah, like most things in my life, just a, huh, why not? <laughs> it's how I usually end up in most things. Yeah, is this because I had never, I hadn't heard of many people submitting for awards prior to the book actually coming out. So was that, you know, strategic on your part in terms of, well, you know, I'll apply for this prior to the release and then I'll, I might throw yeah. it yeah, absolutely. And I suppose then, you know, if you are releasing on, if you are successful on the back of that, you know, you can release it with, oh, look, it won this thing before it even got out the door. That would have been nice. No doubt about it. But there there wasn't really a greater strategy at work. I'd like to, to say I was that, you know, savvy. I really wasn't. <laughs> I think you're being modest, but yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll take, we'll take it. <laughs> so, so, so now the second part, what can you tell us about the Transcendent Saga beyond that. So the Transcendent Saga, it's essentially a story about sort of, <laughs> there are more worlds, but primarily three transecting worlds of the demons, the fae and the humans. Um, there's a whole lot of sort of back history about when it was one world and then there was a war and then the various realms got split off to kind of keep the, the humans safe, I suppose. <laughs> um, uh, and kind of sort of melt into sort of mythology. Uh, the demons haven't really stuck to that plan. Um, some of them have, um, but others not so much. So it kind of revolves around my two sort of main characters, Aubrey and Cathal. Um, so she essentially went through a sort of ordeal as a kind of, sort of teenager, really, uh, where she ended up in the, the Fae realm sort of accidentally um, and had a pretty sort of traumatic experience. Um, I won't kind of go into the details of that because that's kind of spoilery for the story, um, but kind of ends up, it sort of ch changes who she is, I suppose. And, and for all that it was traumatic, it kind of put her back on the right track of what she was doing with her life because it was kind of going off the rails. So she has quite mixed feelings about it. Um, but as a result of that, she kind of has a sort of untapped power within her. And she's sort of been avoiding anything supernatural, but they kind of keep getting drawn to her because she doesn't really understand the power she has, but and they don't really understand it. But but creatures she come across are kind of like, oh, that that's something, you know. And so she keeps putting them off, and then she kind of gets herself into a situation with a what is essentially a demon smuggling ring, except they're smuggling humans. <laughs> the demons smuggling humans rather than demons smuggling demons. Um, and she kind of gets in and they're essentially not going to let her go. Not that they've got her, but they're looking for her. Mm. And so the, the Fae 
um, basically come back to sort of, she basically calls them back into her life as her kind of only way of getting away from the other half. So she's kind of in this situation where she's stuck between the demons and the fae, but she kind of is siding with them. And it's basically about her relationship with Cathal um, and sort of what happens to them. And a lot of the stuff in the first book is not resolved because it's a very long thread into books two and three that the first book is really about her understanding about what she went through who she is starting to tap into the power that she has but still kind of very much shying away from wanting to use it um but she knows that if she doesn't get a handle on it it's more dangerous than if she actually does because she keeps accidentally hurting people <laughs> with it <laughs> so yeah, like when she loses her temper or something like that, accidentally knocking somebody unconscious. And she's like, realizes if she doesn't actually do something about this, she's going to end up really hurting people. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that journey and her, I suppose, understanding who she is and what she experienced and how it's helped shape her life. And that's kind of, I suppose, where the first book's arc is. And then books two and three sort of focus more on the demons and then the, the really past history and how that's kind of all coming to the, it's not as past as we think it is, shall we say. Yeah, had a comment. You had me at Faye. When is it coming out? <laughs> uh, I'm hoping sort of, sort of November, December. Oh, oh, all right. <laughs> I clear the decks for that now. <laughs> okay. Oh, Phil, shh. <laughs> Phil. Phil actually has read it, so. Oh, he's so Pam, do, oh. do you have all three books written already? No, I have book one's written, but I'm just editing at the moment yeah. some changes. Book two is half done, and I've written the very end of book three. There you go. Okay. Weirdly. <laughs> but none of the rest That's of the That's not that weird. That's the very, very last scene. Is written. Gotcha. Makes All right, sense. I got some more room on my bookshelf to clear, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Bring it on. <laughs> Wasn't sure if Steve had some more comments or questions to catch up on. I can't. Uh, uh, tell Parker was uh, mentioning Transcendent is such a great, great story. I've been pestering Pam to get it published. <laughs> yeah. So he actually has he has read it. So <laughs> he was one of my first beta readers. So he's biased. <laughs> Phil's a great guy. Great guy. Great author. Yeah. He, Great, great stuff. So, Pam, is this the one that I read the opening chapter for? Ages ago? I, maybe. Maybe. No, okay. We'll, I talk, don't know. we'll talk later. I don't want to give okay. any spoilers, so I'll ask you. I'll ask you later. But I'm excited. Okay. Also, okay. thank you. <laughs> We're all red. Hello, Punk Red. Oh, yeah. And finally, December. <laughs> So, um, if I can ask you both, um, I guess separate responses, how did you get started in this, this whole writing thing? How did you, how, how, how did it, how did it become now that, you know, P.S. you're going to be releasing Plan Trilogy and Virginia, you wrote, you know, more, a dozen, have you wrote a dozen books yet? I can't. can't. Oh, sure, because there's a bunch I've got just sitting around that aren't going to get published ever. Um, I think before I before I released my first book, I'd written maybe five or six. Um, so that I just you know practice practice books. <laughs> yeah, how did you get started in all this? Um, do you want to go first, Pam? You want me to go? Uh, you can go. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you go. 
I mean, like, so I have been a storyteller since I was a wee tiny child. And, um, and I actually have some of my first stories written in crayon. My mom kept them and sent them to me once I started publishing. Uh, and they're actually, I should have gotten them out. They're in the other room, but um, really, really questionable spelling. Um, <laughs> um, like some of the, yeah, anyway. Uh, just, yeah, absolutely not great spelling. Um, yeah, but I just like, I started then and, um, but I didn't think I could be a writer. I didn't realize that was an option on the table. I was like, you know, I want to be a veterinarian or I want to be an astronaut or whatever, you know, um, until I was about 12 or 13. And, and I had in grade seven, I had, uh, one of my English teachers, um, read a short story that I'd written for her class and, um, said, you know, this is really good. Have you considered becoming a writer? Hmm. And I was like, wait, wait, what? Uh, I, I could be a writer? Me? Because every other, like all the feedback I'd gotten from all of my other uh, English teachers had basically just been like, you're really terrible at spelling and your commas, like you have no idea where a comma goes, um, which was true. And I actually have a diagnosed disability for both those things. But, um, but I just like, you know, so all after all that feedback, as much as I liked writing stories and did it in my free time, still, I just being a writer didn't occur to me. Like, no, I can't be a writer. I'm terrible at spelling and commas, right? So um, she was the first one who was like, well, like, yeah, you're you are terrible at spelling and commas, but that's what editors are for. And like, you've got a great idea. You have a great mind for stories for for storytelling. And um, and you know, I was a seventh grader art like using metaphor and stuff, and she was very pleased with that because when you're a grade seven English teacher, that's probably really nice. But anyway, uh, so it was there from and from then on, I was like, that is what I want to be. That was always the goal. Um, it was just a question of how. Um, and I went to school for Spanish. I first started off as a biology with a biology degree, <laughs> um, but I didn't finish it. I switched uh, switched to Spanish halfway through, and then I, you know, was teaching Spanish and started like submitting stories, short stories for for publication and stuff around then. Um, and taught for a while. My daughter's desperately trying to get my attention, and I'm <laughs> wondering what this hand on my shoulder is. Uh, and uh, yeah, and so, but it wasn't until <laughs> wasn't until um, I'd been teaching for a while and writing a bunch in like every free moment when I finally decided um, to to sort of switch gears. And actually, uh, my husband was like, "Hey." Um, you know, we'd been talking about maybe starting a family, but we didn't want to stay in the U.S. to do it because it was going to be super expensive. Um, and he's my husband's Canadian. He's like, what if we moved hey. to Winnipeg? Yeah. Go Canada. Go Canada. <laughs> yeah, Canada. Go Canada. Like, what, if, what if we moved to what if we moved to Winnipeg? And like I got a job in movies with some of my friends and like you could write full time. And I was like, sold. I will move to Winnipeg if it means I can write full time. Um, <laughs> And that was in June of 2014. And basically like, then I just started at it in earnest and, and, and worked on it from there. And like I said, I'd ran a Kickstarter for that first book, which I ran the Kickstarter in the fall of 2014. And then in, in January of 2015, I launched it. And I am now gonna mute myself and find out what my daughter wants. <laughs> uh, Cedar's hilarious, she really is. Um, uh, for me, uh, I, I wrote a lot kind of as a, a kid and stuff and, and things and and then I sort of stopped for a really long time and then I kind of found a lot of my kind of old stories and kind of read them back and died a little inside how cheesy they were <laughs> some of it was just cringy teenage angst that if anybody ever saw I would just oh uh, yeah um 
I was listening to The Cure quite a lot at the time, so that might explain it. <laughs> it was very angsty and, and not at all good. Um, <laughs> it was just painful, genuinely painful. Um, and I think, yeah, I think The Crow had not long come out and I had a bit of an obsession with that. So it was kind of like The Cure, Brandon Lee, you know, <laughs> you can imagine what the content was and it was awful. <laughs> so yeah, no, it wasn't good. Um, and, I, and I didn't, I didn't write for a really long time. And and then I was talking to um, my brother-in-law, who who's a very creative person, more so in the kind of music industry. Uh, like, is, is it kinesthesia, where they can sort of see the music in colors? Is that the right term? I think so. Yeah. Think so, yeah. You know, and that kind of thing, talking about that and talking about how important creative outlets were. And I kind of thought, you know, I don't have one anymore. I'm working all the time and teaching and I'm doing this. And, and I know like lessons, planning lessons is creative to an extent, but it, it didn't feel that way. Um, and so I, I started writing fan fiction, actually, uh, if I'm, you know, totally honest. And I think that's a brilliant outlet for just like taking the world that somebody else has created and kind of going, can I write within this world? And I think that was kind of the first step for me, which was just kind of something that I really enjoyed and just see playing with it a little bit. And then I was keeping writing and then I realized that what I was writing had nothing to do with what I already had written. Like that was where it started, but new worlds had been created and I was loving it. And, and uh, yeah, and I, I hurt my back actually. And I was off work for about three months um so for the first month I was off my face on painkillers so that wasn't uh, useful but <laughs> after that I was uh, I started writing because you know I you get bored of watching tv you know you're you're sitting there and it's like you know, I've watched entire series of Stargate SG1 <laughs> like all nine ten eleven <laughs> seasons of this like I, I can't take any more um so I started actually sort of writing it and then more and then it just basically spilled out I think this kind of stuff that had been there for a really long time and I kept doing it and then I started getting involved in the writing community and in different writing groups I went back to university and did creative writing courses as a night class and then at weekends and sort of built up my experience that way um then I started doing editing courses and proofreading courses and building up a client base that way and it snowballed um and now it's another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, yeah, when my book finally is inflicted on the world, you can all blame my, blame my brother-in-law. It's all his fault, really. <laughs> Sounds like a good brother-in-law. He is very much so, and he's a very talented DJ as well. Nice, oh, nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Um, uh, you may not have seen it, but Steve and I had the privilege um, of having uh, Crystal Matar and Andrew Gord on uh, one of our previous yeah. <laughs> stage And uh, again, it was it was great to hear um, both both PS and Virginia, both of you, uh, just cheering out loud for the romance, uh, the romance, uh, fancy romance writers doing so well in this year's SPFEO. I have Rain and Root on the shelf. It's funny, I bought it specifically for that reason before. Um, you know, it was even getting close to, to the finals and, and, and I have to read it yet, but but I'm, I'm very stoked to do that. Love Angela and Crystal's writing. They're, they're phenomenal, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, so 
what is it about the the romance? Because one thing I mentioned, I specifically asked Angela Crystal's question. You know, the, in the in the general sphere of of, of the fantasy community, you know, uh, there is some people who are not fans of of romance in their fantasy. They don't like never the twain shall meet. It's not something that's that's um, you know that they prefer to read. Uh, Steve's laughing over there, and Steve, you made one of those, and no disrespect if you're not. It's it's all good. Everybody has their 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 taste, so it's not. I'm not I'm not picking on anybody. I personally love romance, and I love the the romantic element, but um, first of all, I guess two-part question again. Why do you think that is? And, and afterwards, I'd like to hear Steve's opinion about about why maybe the the romantic element is as popular. Is it because it's not people feel it's not well done in fantasy, or you know, and 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 so the other part obviously is you know like what makes you want to see that or, or read that in fantasy. So why is the first part is what what's the what's the hate on for for romance uh, in fantasy or why why do a lot of people not like it and it may just be preference taste or maybe something else and 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 also why do you like to see it in, in fantasy specifically in fantasy? Uh, there's, a big, there's a stigma attached to it and I think there's an idea people you know and it's fine also if you like this but people say romance and they go oh Mills and Boone oh Jilly Cooper you know and that's fine you know if you want to enjoy it a lot and, and she was hugely successful um you know you've got your like 50 shades of grey again which was hugely successful I mean like it or the content or think it's badly written or, or whatever the comments might be she's made a ton of money out of that and loads of people loved it i may not love the books i kind of love her <laughs> the writer because i mean she got so much abuse on twitter and mm. i remember i think the post when she came on she was like uh, she's like you know what i'm a fat middle-aged woman i wrote a sex book and i'm now a millionaire go yourselves but i thought <laughs> yes i love you <laughs> she took all the criticism and she totally owned it and i thought yes you are yeah. Brilliant. Good for her. Good for her. You know, and I think that's fantastic. But there is that stigma. And I think we also need to be careful about romance or love story. Yes. Because they are different. And I would say that like the legacy of Brightwash is a love story. And there's yes. you know that there's that element that goes through it, but I it's not a romance. And even if it was, that's totally fine. But I think there's a big difference. And a love story written by a woman is a romance. A love story written mm. by a man is a love story. And I mm. think there is a stigma of that too, mm. that women writing it are somewhat looked down on, not by everybody, by any manner of means. And I can see Virginia nodding, so I'm going to let her chime in here. I was just going to say that I think, unfortunately, a huge portion of the stigma against romance is an underlying misogynistic bias that is not conscious in most of the people who embrace it even, but is in fact... Uh, just the idea that it's that it's women's stories and that it's not as valuable uh, as part of the genre, um, which is problematic on multiple levels because for one thing, romance is for everyone, <laughs> not just women, and it's written by everyone, not just women. Um, but but it's also problematic because um, it's not you know <laughs> it's not it's not a it's not a bad thing. <laughs> um, it's a great thing, and um, but it's also. I think that honestly, a big part of the stigma against it is because it's actually so hard to do well that for one thing, we get a ton of bad examples of it in, in popular fiction. And so people see those and they're like, oh, romance is terrible. 
And they're like, yes, but it's a poorly done romance. Poorly done anything is terrible. <laughs> um, you know, like poorly done battle scenes are terrible too. Um, but uh, but then also uh, we see people who assume that, so for example, so to be genre romance, it has to have a happily ever after or a happily for now, right? That is a genre requirement. If it does not have that, it is not actually a genre romance. Yeah. Um, it, may be a, it may be a love story like Pam was talking about, or it may be a romantic something, right? Like it can be a romance, like romantic fantasy. I would say that it's possible that Legacy of the Brightwash is romantic fantasy. I actually haven't read it yet, so I, I can't I think it's romance as a subplot for me. Yeah, it could also be you know, it's, 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 a, it's a total driver for the characters. My book is very similar. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely, between Kathleen Aubrey, it is the driving force right. that's pushing them together. But everything right. else that's happening around is irrelevant to that. Right. You know, that's the characters driven, but the plot is something separate as well. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. and it's a huge thing in Brightwash, right. but it's not the whole point of the story by at all. Right. Whereas Rain and Ruin is legit a fantasy romance. It is a yes. romance genre yeah. book. And um, and that I actually have read and adored. I love that book. Um, and and they uh, and that's a separate thing. And so I think people also a lot of authors look at at the whole happily ever after as a concept and think, oh, you know, for whatever reason that that bothers them. They're like, well, that's boring. I already know how it's going to end. And I'm like, aha, you know how it's going to end. But do you have any idea how it's going to get from where we start to the end? Because a well-done romance sets things up so that you're like, this cannot possibly work. How is this supposed to work? I know these two people are supposed to wind up together, but that doesn't make any sense. And a well-done one presents enough character development and, and other issues being resolved so that at the end you have a nice, healthy, romantic relationship that can then move forward from there. And holy crap, that's impressive. And it's really hard to do. And I think that a lot of people who look down on romance are just bad at it and also maybe haven't seen good examples of it. And so they're like, oh, no, that's not that's not worth my time or whatever. Whereas like I look at romance and I don't write romance genre myself currently because I'm not good enough at it to do it. Um, but as a, it's like a masterclass in building tension. That is I like the romance in your book. I like by, the romance in Sarah's Claw. I, thank I you. I, I, do, I do include romantic subplots a lot. Um, and I like, and because I, I love romance and I, and it's part of, you know, it's part of the human experience. And I think it's an important one. And I would actually love to someday write rom like an actual romance. I just don't think I'm there yet. Like it's just, it requires a lot of skill <laughs> um, in the subset of creating tension out of personal, very, very personal stakes only. Not someone's gonna blow up the world, not someone's gonna kill you, but just like your heart is on the line. Like that, you know, and, and this, this person matters to you, you matter to yourself. And um, the best romances that I have read uh, by, so outside of the fantasy genre, um, Courtney Milan writes amazing feminist romance. It's fabulous really healthy relationships with independent driven people um, who are not, you know, winding up in, you know, weird, um, mutually destructive relationships, but in really like good, healthy relationships. Um, and, uh, and then T. Kingfisher writes amazing uh, fantasy romance books that are also humorous yeah. and have, like really solid non-fantasy plots as well. I mean, not fantasy, non-romantic plots, non-romantic non I read plots. one of the ones, you, what was the name of it? You recommended it to me recently. I recommended all of them to you, so I don't know which one you started. I read... Was it a paladin? Swordheart? Did you start with Swordheart? Swordheart, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and 
It, oh, it was so good. It's I just so I loved every minute of it. All the characters and the the setup, the world building, like the the, <laughs> the temple of the rat. It was yes. just amazing. So Absolutely good. amazing. Um, and I, I yeah, I loved it. And yeah, it was kind of very grown up romance but quite guarded still and yeah, yeah oh so lovely um yeah. but just a really well written book and yeah. the world building was exquisite in it and it just complemented it all so well uh yeah definitely um and i think that's another thing jd evans does well too in rain and ruin it's beautiful world building it's a really interesting politically intriguing plot for a fantasy world with all these um different actors um and that is also really compelling. And then there's a magic system. There's a lot of awesome standard fantasy elements going on. And then this fabulous romance as well. Um, so, and I think that all of those things are really just prime examples of excellent writing. And I think a lot of the stigma against it is again, a non, not conscious, but an inherent bias against things that are considered to be like women's fiction. Um, and which is just like, you know, romance authors are laughing all the way to the bank with that because they're just like <laughs> successful romance authors are like, great, yeah, look down on me all you want, but here are my, you know, paycheck. Yeah, while well, I'm cashing my check. Exactly. So, yeah, um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's a massive market for it. But yeah, you're, I think, Virginia, you're right. It's, uh, I don't, I don't even like the term women's fiction. I don't know what that was, but never mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's something fell <laughs> over, but I'm just going to pretend it didn't. You know, I don't, yeah, I don't even like the term women's fiction. It's, I mean, is there, do we have men's fiction? No, that's just the default. <laughs> ah, that was my mistake there. Yeah. Things like that. I just think that that in itself is telling that we talk about that as women's fiction as if there's not a cross divide that everybody can enjoy. Right. You know, yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, every, even like action movies and stuff like that. I don't know if, you know, I love a really cheesy action movie. Um, you know, but even like some of the ones like the eighties, you know, your Tango and Cash, Commando. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a love element in all of these. It might be a daughter, it might be a sister, you know, or whatever. But it's not like that's not a big part of those films, is it? Yeah. But yeah. because it's a man's film, it's like it's just not. You know, it's a side plot, but it's not love. It's not romance. But, okay. Yeah. No, yeah. no, yeah, it's a good point, Steve. What? Well, let's hear you your thoughts, brother. About what, what do you think about all this? Well, it's, it kind of surprises me how much grief romance gets because who's who's reading them then? Because there is probably the most popular genre there is, right? So, if everyone hates it, then who's where are all these books going? Like, what's going on? The conspiracy. Um, I'm fine with romance and books. I, if it serves the the story, then I'm I'm okay with it. And it's really unfortunate because there's been some books that I've recommended to people, and when I tell them, like One Way by Jeff Lane, I tell them it's a love story. But it's a thriller too, and they, well, it's a love story. I'm not going to bother. Or with Big Al by Night by Nicole Eisner, it's a horror. It's a horror. It's a vampire tale, but there's romance in the story. It's like, well, there's romance, there's horror, and it's like, oh, there's romance. Nah, I'm not going to. But you're missing out on so many great stories, and I don't, I don't get the, I don't get why just because there's a, if there's a love story or there's you know the romance involved in the story, why is that a reason not to experience such a great story? So I, I'm not sure where that comes from. I'm not sure why it has such this negative uh where people have this negative reaction to it's a love story there's romance in the story then why not why not i don't, I don't can, can you even do can you even do vampire stories without romance and love anymore i i i i, I, I don't know like the last certainly not the last 50 years 60 years i mean going back to you know nosferatu you, know, you see the old black and white 
film like that's it's it's a love story too like I, yeah it's that's that's strange um I, <laughs> dracula I the idea, though, love story, of, isn't it? which is dracula yeah it's a love story right that's all of Anne rice's story. all of Anne rice's stuff you know love story like i yeah yeah i enjoyed the love elements of that i mean two pages describing a table not quite so much <laughs> 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 I do actually, I do kind of love the idea though of telling vampire stories without a love story in them because mm. I do, I do think it's still fun to just be like, but yeah, okay, sure. But what if we go back to vampire as villain? Because like, instead of vampire as like sexy villain, just vampire is like, no, nah, just straight up going to eat you. Yeah. Um, you know, like <laughs> I like both. I like both. I'm not, I have nothing against vampire fantasy romance. Like I've definitely read a few and I've enjoyed some of them and I, but I'm like, but I also like, yeah, sure. If anybody wants to reintroduce vampires as just jerks, that's fine too. You know, like I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to make any blanket comments about yeah. <laughs> whether or as, or as the, the good guys, the, the good guys or girls, the misunderstood, <laughs> you know, vampires that are, you know, just creatures of their nature rather than, right. you know, malevolent, you know, yeah. It's, right, it's, not inherently it's, anything. Yeah. Like, well, I have to have blood to survive, but I try to be nice about it, you know, yeah, like that's cool too. Yeah. I like that, yeah. 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 It's so funny yeah. you brought that up, Virginia, it's actually like a, a scene in my book, they're talking about vampires because Aubrey, from your character, she's she's sort of going, oh, you know, are they not kind of romantic? And Cathal's just like, no, they're bloodsuckers and I kill anyone I find. <laughs> you know? so, she, so she's got this kind of romantic notion about them as well. And, you know, as a fae, he's just like, no, they're not remotely nice. They will kill you. They're all horrible. And it's quite funny, like her growing up with this notion of it. He's just like, no, not at all. There's nothing good about them. They just eat people. <laughs> I, I personally think, and Steve obviously is a big horror fan, like, I think horror and romance really mesh well together. Um, the ones that I've read it with, it's well done. Like I really love that element, and it just brings out the the that aspect of pathos. You know, like especially if you know that because of whatever the horror threat is that you know people's romances are doomed, or you know people one party dies, or like I love that. I love I love when those when you know it's not just one thing. I love when people blend blend genres and subgenres and make it you know mash it up and make and that's the beauty of being an indie right mm -hmm. as, as steve and i have talked about with other guests that you know we can kind of do what we want to do right and and not worry about you know no you must stick with the you know right. um so yeah I, I i do enjoy that that element of the freedom of being an indie writer so um curiously enough sorry Right, so the, I agree, romance and love in any form is part of the human, ex human experience. It's crazy to think that you wouldn't find an element in a well-rounded stories, regardless of genre. I, I do think it's also important to acknowledge um, that there are lots of non-romantic, and I think this is sort of mentioned in her comment, that like love in other forms, right? That, that, um, that it doesn't have to be romantic love. Because I also think it's really... I, I really enjoy stories that don't focus on a romantic relationship, but do still focus on love between humans, right? They're just like either, you know, family or just platonic friendships and, and, and all of that love too. Like, and I don't, you know, I don't know that it gets enough page time in a lot of books or it's like, it's all about the, the romantic relationship instead of like, oh no, these two people just really care about each other. There's mm -hmm. nothing romantic going on, but they they just they love each other and they want to help each other out. And and I love I like seeing that stuff develop on the page too is really fun. So I think that's mm -hmm. a very yeah, cute. Yeah, connections though, isn't it? Yeah, connecting to somebody. And yeah, that's, that's, a, that's that's the point. Another favorite author of mine, friend Bjorn Larson. You know, I, I love seeing characters that he has an asexual character. You know, um, like 
you know, all of that representation is is wonderful and we need more and more of it. All forms of love is, as you both said, you know, not just romantic love or or love between, you know, a particular gender, non-binary. I love, you know, Virginia, you had non-binary characters in, in, in Sarah's Claw and, you know, like that's all stuff that we need so much more, right? Um, you know, but, but so with, with, with everything we'll be talking about, so if you look at the, you know, the recent SBFBO, obviously we're still kind of, we're still kind of in the after party for that where, you know, it was so exciting and it came down to the wire and, you know, you had, you had Legacy of the Brightwash and, and, and Raider Rune at the end kind of going neck and neck and all the other, the other eight finalists were phenomenal books and all just, just amazing. And the whole, the whole thing is, is really quite hyped. Right. And you look at what SBFBO in particular has become, it's become extremely hyped spotlight. You know, it seems like the eyes of the, the, the writing community, especially the new writing community are, are on it. So where do you think indie independent writing is going? Like based on things like SBFBO and, and what we're seeing with some of these other big contests and also just the fact that, you know, we, we Steve and I have talked about this with other guests, especially those involved with SBFBO. A lot of there's been a now a, a number of SBFPO um, finalists and semi-finalists who are pursuing traditional publishing, and being in contests like SBFPO directly have helped propel them into that 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 world. I mean, if you want to do, I mean, I, I look at the two as being equal, just different different sides of publishing. But you know, if you want, if that's what your aspirations are, like SBFO or winning these big awards, you know. You know, someday, P.S. If you're looking for, you know, pursuing traditional publishing, like, oh well, you want a page turnover, like you know, or Virginia <laughs> with SBFU. So these things seem to matter. So where where is indie? But where is indie going um, with with the prominence that it's receiving with all these these authors, you know, and these these awards and. So it's interesting, right? Like, so Spiffo has um, can have a profound effect on any book's trajectory, right? Um, it doesn't always, um, but it but it can, and um, it's a tough one. I think part of the issue is that tr is the question of like where trad is going. So like, indie exists because trad leaves so much uncovered, right? Like like the the gatekeeping behind traditional publishing means that there are a huge number of stories not being told or not being being read from tra from traditional publishing and, and indie moves to fill that gap in a lot of ways. Um, and what's cool is that I think the overall quality of, of indie books has met and in some cases surpassed that of trad books, right? Um, the one of the coolest things is that like having so much control over cover art and design and all that, all those features means that like indie books now can look like just their normal book form can look like the coolest special editions from, you've ever seen from Trad, right? And that's awesome because we can just do that whenever we want. If we have the money to invest, we can just make that happen. And we don't have to be best-selling person, you know, best-selling author in this whole host of authors at some massive publishing house to achieve it. You can just lay out the money for it and hope for the best or run a Kickstarter for it and make it happen. You know, like there's just so many cool ways to do that. Um, so like Spiffbo highlights indie books beautifully. And I think, you know, Mark Lawrence makes a point in his description of the contest that the ultimate goal is not to, to receive traditional publishing deals. That would be an insult to, to indie publishing. Um, I think that most people who enter Spiffbo don't really have 
well, I don't know. It's a mix now, maybe, uh, and don't necessarily have an interest in that. Um, a lot of a lot of Spiffbo winners and even just finalists and sometimes just semifinalists uh, um, have wound up getting picked up by Trad. And it's been a mixed bag as to how well that's gone for some people. Um, I, I, I am friends with a number of authors for whom that's happened and it's, uh, the results have been an interesting mix. Um, for some people, it's been you know, a massive career changer and amazing. Um, and for others, it's, they've actually, Trad has just tanked books of theirs that were doing well beforehand. Uh, it's not, yeah, it's not a guaranteed anything. Um, and I think that indie exists to provide the stories that readers want and can't find elsewhere. Right, like that is the that is the niche that we inhabit, and I think, uh, and it's important, and it's like the like I think one of the best things about indie is just like find your readers. If there's someone who wants your story. Who are those people? Um, and so, it's Spiffbo is great for highlighting indie books and is very helpful to the indie community overall because it does a great job of highlighting like here are all these books, and they're being reviewed by these massive blogs that review a bunch of trad books too. And here's how they're ranked up, you know, against each other and these trad books. And you can sort of get an idea of the overall quality. And isn't that cool? Um, but it's not, it's not the only thing going. And there are some, some of the most massively successful indie authors have never entered Spiffbo or have never won Spiffbo or never, you know, made it to the finals for Spiffbo. Like I, I know a number of authors who make vast amounts more money than I do who've never had a book make it to the finals. Um, but they are clearly doing something right, many things right, and they are, you know, making very large livings <laughs> off of their writing, and they've, you know, Spiffo has not gone well for them, or they've never tried, right? Um, and they're making way more than most trad authors, because they get a much larger portion of their royalties, right? But so they've figured out marketing, and they've made that work for them. Um, and so I think, you know, things like Spiffo are very helpful um, and really cool. And I'm glad it exists. And it's a very, it's a, it's a neat thing and it's a neat community. And it, one thing it does really well, I think, is help build community. I am still close friends with all the other nine finalists from my year. And I know that most of the, the Spiffo finalist groups have gotten close. And that's a really cool and sort of unparalleled thing. That it's hard to recreate. <laughs> um, and that's an amazing service. Uh, but I don't think it's, it's definitely not the be all end all of IndiePub. And I don't think that it is even an excellent indicator of where IndiePub is going because, you know, we see these really high profile books from Spiff where they get picked up by Trad. But meanwhile, books that are even more successful than those are just off doing their own thing and you've never seen them on the Spiffo page, right? Um, and they're selling like hotcakes and, and they have a massive readership and, you know, yeah, so I just I I don't think it I don't think it paints the whole picture. Um, and I think where indie is going is is to continue to go where trad isn't. <laughs> um, and trad seems to be shrinking itself down even in many ways. Like there are a couple labels that are that are actually actively pursuing you know different stories and that are that are more interesting and from more like varied authors and stuff, but. A lot of big bad houses are just sort of collapsing on themselves. They've gate they've gate kept themselves into a corner, I guess, and now they can't get out. I don't know. Um, so that's my answer. <clears throat> oh me, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree with a lot of what Virginia said. You know, you know, finding 
markets. You know, I'm a big believer in if you love something that you've written, somebody else will too, you know. And as I said at the start, it's so subjective what one person likes and what other person doesn't like and, and things. I think my biggest issue with it, or I think my biggest issue, but I think potentially for themselves as well, is that trad publishing is so slow moving. Mm. They can't adapt on the fly. They can't change. I think the pandemic really showed that in the indie authors were able to find new ways quickly to reach audiences or talk to their fans or kind of get out there and and you know make specials on books and say oh well it's gonna be 99p and they or, or somebody's running a sale they can work with another author and go oh let's do a group and we'll send that out trad can't do any of those things they just can't you know you can't speak to like the four of us suddenly go oh, yeah do you know what we'll do a four-person anthology and we can get together and we can put that out and we don't need to speak to anybody you know about doing that uh, and we can say oh well that group over there is doing the same thing why don't we run a campaign together we'll give both books for 99p for a week and then whatever you, you, you trad just hasn't been able to switch that way and i genuinely think it's held them back i mean nobody obviously saw the pandemic coming as such you know and so they couldn't expect that but you know in the two years they, they couldn't seem to get it together to do anything about it hmm. you know you'd think in two years somebody in those businesses would be going oh we need to adapt to this what can we do and they just didn't yeah. You know, and I think that's quite strange. And then they're almost kind of resigned to how slow they move. But I don't think it needs to be that way. It's almost as if they've chosen it and they're sticking with it, regardless of how effective it is. It's, I find it quite yeah. odd. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Go ahead, Steve. No, please, please go ahead. I was going to say, uh, uh, you and I have talked about this before, about how the the book industry reminds us of the music industry in the like the late 90s. Uh, they were just so stuck on their model. And they refused to change and digital just took over. So you kind of see that same transition with, with the publishing industry is that they're so stuck in what they, what's worked for so long, they don't want to change and it's going to be at their detriment, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Hence traditional <laughs> publishing, right? They, they, they are, they are entrenched in their traditions and, and they are not, they are not quite to change it. I don't know if, uh, because, you know, as, as, as you three also aptly pointed out, because of that inflexibility and that ability, that inability to be adaptable and, and be agile in how they do things. And I guess the, the whole, maybe in their mind thinking that part of the prestige is that, Hey, you have to wait, you know, four years for, you know, the next, you know, um, you know, Victoria Aveyard book or, or Sarah J Moss book or John Gwynn book. And there's this hype. And of course, you know, it's going to be a preemptive, you know, bestseller and, you know, that's part of what they do. But, you know, like you said, it, it does, it does seem rather inflexible and does seem like they're being left behind in a lot of ways that indies can just, as you said, you know, the four of us want to, as PS said, the four of us want to do an anthology day. Okay. Hey man, you know, you want to do this? Yep. Or are you good at cover? Yep. You know, Bridget's got a Kickstarter, you know, Steve's going to do and And then we just do it. Right. And there's no one to say, well, you can't do that. You can't write an anthology on that. You can't, you know, oh, you can't, you can't be put out in that type. And guess what? There's, we're not in a queue whereby if PS is the big writer it, uh, of the three of us, that, and then she's got something else going on that has to come out first before anyone else is, then that it, it does, it's all irrelevant. It's, it's right. just about mm -hmm. what, you know, so um, I, I love that about, about indie writing that, you know, I don't have to wait 
four years to get. And, and as I, I said before, hats off. And if you're pursuing that, that as Virginia said, it's, it works really well for some people. And if you're pursuing that that um, line of publishing, you know, hats off to you. And it's great and it's fantastic. There's lots of advantages. But for me, I, I cannot imagine sitting there waiting at the at the timeline of someone else for my book to come out three, four, five mm-hmm. years and sitting behind P.S. Livingston or Virginia McLean or Steve because they're just bigger writers than me right. and I just yeah. have to wait my turn because their book is more important to get out than mine. Right. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. I think that's it as well. And I mean, a question I've been asked on like a, a number of panels or whatever recently is, you know, what trends are there within SFF? And I don't know that there really <clears throat> are trends within indie in the same way. You're not seeing, oh, well, this type of book's really popular. Well, because I, I, I don't think there are as many like that. I just the, the trend thing is just less relevant. But yeah, it is less relevant it because you know, I, but it is, it is less relevant. It's, you find niches and there's always different things. And I know there is within trad publishing too. But I mean, how many times have you go, you've heard people going, oh, as an agent or a publisher, or oh, we want something really, really unique and new. Well, they don't really. They want something like this with a wee twist of that. And so actually, I think most of the time, again, they don't take chances because when they say we're looking for the new thing, they're not really. Mm. You know, whereas indie can offer that. It's, well, this is fresh or this is a new idea on this. But they're not bound by that. For example... I hate the whole comp title thing. It's like, <laughs> I hate having to like come up with them. It's like, you know, yeah. because you don't, because you don't, first of all, you're like, well, is it really like that? Does it have some flavors of that? But you also don't want to come across like a giant asshole going, yes, well, I think you'll find out in the next Robin Hobb. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm Robin Hobb, he's Brandon Sanderson. Well, I'm clearly not, right? You know, and it's the best thing you make that comp, you look like a total ass. Right. You know, and it's horrible, but, you know, if you're trad publish, you, you need to do that much more so. You know, which big name person can I compare you to to say you're going to be this? And that's really hard, I think, especially when you've got to do it yourself. It's like writers who call themselves legendary. It's so cringe. Somebody else has to call you yeah. that. You're not allowed to do it about yourself. And I think the yeah. call title feels that way to me. It feels that way, but it's still a useful marketing tool, right? Like, and and I think you know it's different when it's in a blurb and it's like for like fans of this and this and this will like this, right? Because you're really not you're not saying I'm the next. I know I just it's my own to be honest. I just find it. But but where where's the where's the originality? Why can't you be the P.S. Livingston or the Virginia (laughs) McLean? That's it. The like what like like you know I I have lots of favorite authors. You know, traditional and indie. Right. You know, I'd love to be sure I'd love to be compared to whoever, you know, Jenny Words, John mm-hmm. Gwynn, you know, yeah. you know, Tim Hardy, you name it. Right. But right. but I'm peeled. You know, <laughs> is there room for me to just be me like the first one, the only the original right. yeah. good or bad? Right. You know, yeah. and that and that's that's, you know, that's, that's part of the issue. Right. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> legendary. I love that PS. <laughs> Just calling yourself like, legendary. I have seen people do it, call themselves that in their own bio, and I'm like, you can't do that. <laughs> I'm just gonna blurb myself from now. I'm just gonna put legendary in quotes. <laughs> and his talk should talk about himself. Yeah, because that always gets a great impression. Uh. Listen, I will write it as a like I will write it and put it like I give you a blurb for your next book if you promise not to call yourself that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think um, I can let you do it. 
Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I, if you say if you, if you say I can't, I won't. So, okay. I'll I'll write it for you. That's totally. Okay. Like, there you go. Yeah, because yeah, you, you could. You probably write a lot better than I could. I'm pretty sure. Right now, so. <laughs> so I'm just gonna. It's just gonna be one word. Legendary. That's perfect, and then you can put that on every cover. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Five yeah. stars. Legendary. Save me a lot of print costs. Just one word, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I just want to quickly ask as we're as we're winding down. So, can you uh, each tell us what are some of the authors you've been reading recently that you've really enjoyed? Um, what what are some of the the titles you're excited about seeing? Maybe future coming out or things you you want to read you haven't read or you know here's time to kind of get out there and plug some of the some of your faves or authors that you're looking forward to. You've heard good things about or things like that. Can you? Um. Well, one of the last books I read was Forging a Nightmare, which is Patricia E. Jackson's book, um, which I loved. I really loved it. Uh, it was like a brilliant, wonderful mishmash of mythologies and sort of, you know, sort of very much sort of, you know, Bible, but bringing in all the other stuff and just kind of going, ha it's all crazy. And um, yeah, and she's, I mean, Virginia and I are big fans of Patty's anyway, because she's just, if you if you look for someone to interview, she's amazing. <laughs> you will laugh the entire time. I'm fairly certain. Writing um, it down. <laughs> yes, well, definitely. So yeah, forging a nightmare was really really good. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I read obviously Legacy of the Bright Wash. I want to read. Um, oh, thingy in ruin is just going out my head. Somebody help me. Just one spiffball. Rain and Ruin, yeah. Rain and Ruin, right. I knew something in Ruin. The first word just went out of my head. I really that on my list. I didn't manage to get to that before the end. I've been working my way through some of those. Uh was really good. Um Loving Waters, Dan Fitzgerald's book. I Dan's really enjoyed. Awesome. He's awesome. Yes, yeah, he's great. I really like him. Um so yeah, so there's some stuff I've I've read recently and really enjoyed. Uh, a couple of things that I know are out on submission, so I won't name them just in case. Yeah. But people who've heard, who are submitting at the moment and there's some really good stuff. I hope it gets picked up so that everybody else gets to read it. So Halla Williams stuff is great. I hope she gets picked up because her book's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> so yeah, those are those, that's are my recommendations at the moment anyway. Um I've uh, just finished reading Nettle and Bone by T. Kingfisher. Um, I basically will always interrupt anything in my TBR to <laughs> dive into it, the latest T. Kingfisher book, um, which was extra hard this time because I am also currently reading Fevered Star by Rebecca Roanhorse, which is the sequel to Black Sun, which I adored. And I am really loving um, Fevered Star. I just, um, yeah, I got distracted by Nettle and Bone and then I haven't read anything again since then so that the next thing I'm getting back into is the favorite star um, I'm really looking forward to the sequel to Shadows of Ivory um, which uh, I read Shadows of Ivory earlier this year did I read it I can't remember if I read it before it was entered in Spiffo or after uh, by T.L. Greylock um, and it came in third um, and it is uh, excellent and I really um, it's just such a cool adventure story don't be fooled by the cover the cover of Shadows of Ivory makes it look like a grimdark novel. It is not. It is a like action adventure fantasy story with like in elements of Indiana Jones and the Mummy. Like it's and then it's but more 
more societally aware like there's a lot of elements of like oh but should we be taking artifacts from other cultures or yeah. giving them back to the people they belong to um, which is a great thing to see in something that addresses archaeology right um so that's really cool um and uh, the sequel comes out soon like uh in the next couple of weeks and i've okay. forgotten the title but the cover was just revealed on fantasy hive and a few other uh websites and it's gorgeous um and so i'm really really excited for that one i also plan to read the sequels to rain and ruin um oh, yeah. there are like three or four other books in that series they're all set in the same world but following different characters i believe and i'm looking forward to reading those um and lots more but like we'll just go with that for now. PL, i'm going to say also pl's second book because i love the first one so i'm gonna i have to read the second one as well so that's yes. on my list and the first one is, is it's sitting at the top of my tbr as well under oh it's really good you're gonna love yeah. it virginia i, know, I'm I think it's, oh. it's right up your alley i'm very excited about it i'm honored oh thank you <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, okay, so as we're, you guys have been uh, wonderful. It's been so, so amazing to have, have you both well, on. Thank you so that. much for inviting us. Yeah, Looking forward for to this all week. So this is, this has been <laughs> awesome. Um, as we're winding down, um, can you let the audience know um, where is best to find you, your preferred social media platforms, uh, where we can buy your books, what do you prefer? through your website i know for ps it's it's a case of you know when your comes yours comes out which we're we're so anticipating yeah. so can, you give, can you give us all that info <laughs> i will be um yeah twitter is where you'll find me um at ps underscore livingstone with an e at the end uh like like, like the no. person the explorer not the place not that any yeah, actually, who's probably watching knows that Livingston is a really small town in Scotland. <laughs> so that probably was completely irrelevant, but never mind, moving on. Um, you can also find me at my website, www.pslivingstone.com, um, which has got actually all of my Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, which I'm very rarely on Facebook and Twitter, sorry, Facebook and Instagram, mostly because I don't know how to work Instagram. <laughs> I don't get it as a join the club. <laughs> join the club. I I'm not the only one. I'm just sorry. I, oh. I also think that lots of times I've shared something on Instagram and it turns out I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I did that for almost all of QuarantCon. I kept thinking I'd saved and gone, but it didn't. And I don't know. Anyway, sorry. But yes, I'm there. Um, all my stuff, editing oh. services, uh, books, short stories, blogs, me rambling is all available on my website. So, yeah. <laughs> Nice. Um, I can be found at virginiamclean.com or virginiamclean.ca. Slightly different websites, although they are links to each other, <laughs> but they're both my blog slash website. But .ca is the one that actually has the store. If anyone would like to buy um, hard copies directly from me and then order potentially um, signed book plates. I don't actually ship straight from here. Shipping from Canada, super expensive. Um, so not to Canada. No, no, no. Not to from, Canada. From Canada. So shipping but from Canada. Canada's yeah, but I'm in Canada, so if I want well, them, I can... Well, that's true. That is true. Yeah, yes, yeah, and, yeah, so, yeah. and I do have some in stock. I could actually send you a signed copy. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I mostly just use... I use I ship straight from Ingram to whoever yeah. is ordering and can do a signed book plate that is much cheaper to mail from here. Um, yeah. Uh, but even within Canada, it's not that cheap, but still I can do it. Yes. Um, okay. So, uh, Twitter, I'm at Gwen Damned. It's a long story, but that's G-W-E-N-D-A-M-N-E-D. Um, and, uh, honestly, between that and my website, you can find me if you need to track me down. 
Awesome. And Mr. Steve, uh, where can most people find you, your preferred platforms, and uh, things like that? Well, I'm, I'm in agree. I don't get Instagram either. I don't really for books. I don't really get it. You know, I don't understand what. But you know, everyone likes what they like. Um, I'm mostly mostly on Twitter, and I also use Vero because it doesn't have any ads or an algorithm, so it's kind of weird. But I like using those two platforms uh, most of all. But of course, YouTube is the best place. Uh, the comments. Yeah, and Steve's channel, for those of you out there who haven't checked it out, oh my gosh, like the amount of content and the different types of content is just phenomenal, just so diverse. It's it's great stuff. And of course, you know, page chewing is just one part of what Steve does. He does a lot of uh, different things from uh, book deep dives to, um, you know, readings, uh, short story readings, um, you know, interviews, separate interviews of the page chewing. He's just so much, so much stuff, uh, you know, great, great content. So kudos to Steve and kudos to Steve for providing this, this platform for all of us. You know, it's thank you, Steve, because this is Steve's channel. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just along for the ride. This is his channel. He, he does all the, the hard work. I just show up and, That's and, and chat. So you do all the heavy lifting for this one. You do all the work. So. I, I have no idea what I'm doing, and thankfully you're here to help. So well, I don't know. Either. We're just fumbling on together, brother, because I don't know what I'm doing either. So you're both as, excellent. As you're both PS, doing a great job. As PS said, we fake it till we make it. Exactly. <laughs> so, that's what we're all about. So <laughs> good life advice. Yeah. It turns out that's what everyone is doing. They just don't always admit it. <laughs> well, yeah, we're just more honest about it. That's yeah. all. <laughs> Yeah, just blagging it. Is that a is that a term people know? Blag it. Blag it. Just that's, yeah. that's a Scottish term. Yes. Uh, yeah, you're blagging yeah. it. You're just kind blagging of making it. it up as you go along. <laughs> well, that's I mean, my other favorite pastime is teaching people new Scottish words. Ah. We, we played that game at the Corincon party. <laughs> we we did the Corincon oh. party. It was uh, I can't do it because we're being good, but it yeah. was. Uh, Scottish insults, and then everybody was. I would, I would put them in the notes, and everybody would then try and work out what they actually meant. And actually, some of the guesses were funnier than the actual real thing. <laughs> is there like a Scottish urban dictionary where I can look, look, look there, up? There is, like, yeah. Scottishisms. Okay, yeah. That's a high place I want to see. Like on my bucket list, my wife, her background is Scottish, so we want to get there when it just, the, I just want to see the castles. And the moors yeah. and you know that heather and all that stuff so absolutely well WorldCon glasgow 2024 oh maybe we'll come out and see you then you exactly yeah. blag a space space on my floor before it's gone virginia already <laughs> claimed the couch i claim the couch oh okay well we better like it sleep on the floor we can bring our sleeping sleeping roll out <laughs> blankets and stuff and yeah that's yeah, all good easy. there you go you have two years to plan it no problem oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay. Um, I also, I guess I should plug the CornCon uh, website and YouTube. Um, so our YouTube channel exists and is where you can still find all of our content. Um, and so if including anybody wants a reading to, by PL Stewart, including oh, a fabulous you. reading by PL Stewart. It was amazing. Thanks so much for 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 having me. And CornCon is an amazing event, and I recommend. It. I, I assume it's going to be just even bigger and better for twenty uh, twenty. Two, three, slash 2023. Three, it's our, we, already did, we did 2022. We did 22. That's, that's in the books, right? So, <laughs> yeah, you guys are recovering. Uh, you no, know, we're so. recovering, but we, we do have high hopes to return in 2023. Okay. Although it will probably, probably be November. Yeah. If okay. we do it to give us more time to plan instead of panicking over the space <laughs> of a month. 
<laughs> I'm well, having nervous breakdowns. Yeah, we could skip the nervous breakdowns this year. That'd be yeah, great. Yeah, the nervous yeah. breakdown. So we're going to give ourselves a longer lead-in time, but uh, we hope. But yeah, we would like to. Okay, awesome. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, and the, uh, we were obviously automatically having to book the two of you, so you know that's yes. a given. Oh, he's calm. <laughs> Steve's like, I don't even know. Steve's like, what? Like, yeah. yeah. You're, 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 you're a VIP, part. man. Come on. Like, you, yeah. you know, these things, you have to be part of them, right? So, yeah. And we do have continuing content, which Virginia is definitely better at than I am. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's sort of like, it's kind of like my hobby. I'm just like, hey, do you want to do an interview? <laughs> yeah. so we, we do um, throughout the year but hopefully we'll be better at that as well doing bits and bobs when i say we i really mean me because i kind of I did, I did kind of abandon you for most of those last year <laughs> oh that's all right i mean no one i don't ever expect anyone else to help out with the continuing content stuff i feel like it's just like something i randomly do in my free time but you have said a couple of times that you would like maybe like to get together some workshops or panels like instead of just the one person one-on-one -on -one interviews which we can absolutely do so yes if you want to do that do that. yeah you hear that authors apply for uh corn con it, it is awesome i had the privilege of participating in reading this year thanks to ps and virginia and it was a great experience so and we loved we, having you oh thank and you and now we know please, we're gonna get please steve. come back next year oh absolutely now we know we're gonna get steve too so that's, that's, that's awesome, so. <laughs> <laughs> we've already volunteered you steve it's too late you're, you're in yeah so. No backsies, sorry. <laughs> Don't invite me because I'll show up. So be careful. Oh, you're invited. <laughs> we want you to. Yeah, you're totally invited. Yeah. I'll let Steve close it all off, and uh, you know, let him let him send us off as I meet myself here. Sure. Well, thanks again. I'll, I'll obviously PL for this great series we've been doing, and it's been a blast. And thanks to Pam and to Virginia for coming by, spending some time with us, having a having a good laugh, and learning a lot. I learned a lot today about kinds of sorts of things so thank you for for taking time of course everyone thanks for coming by to chat with us in the comments or uh, in the chat so really appreciate it and we will talk to you next time thank you steve thanks, thanks very much everybody. thanks for coming Bye. thank you